A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 18 to 47. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than this will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say this thing so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. 
there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of God. There are certain vulnerabilities with gift giving. Somehow in the relationship where you're giving a gift, sometimes you can subtly communicate uh, either a certain sensitivity or expose a certain problem in the relationship. Occasionally it happens where the person receiving the gift feels, do you know me? Um, here's this thing that I'm really excited about, and this was the occasion that you could get that for me, and you missed that I was excited about it, and you got me this instead. Or, if you really knew me, would you get me this? Sometimes it could be in, in, a, in a highly problematic way, but sometimes it's just subtle of, of, of feeling like if you really knew me, you would know that a sweater with these red horizontal stripes, uh, I'm always warm. Why did you get me a sweater? You know that I get a bit itchy with wool. Why would you, don't you know that about me? Haven't you heard me complaining about the itches? You see me, I'm not Waldo. I don't need this kind of sweater to find me. Uh, why this purchase? Something, something subtle that, that could be thoughtful, inadvertently could communicate. Yeah, we don't know each other. And, and in this Christmas season, let's be kind. Relationships are about getting to know one another. Uh, it's about working those things out. But sometimes in giving interactions, uh, things get exposed. One of the most famous verses in John's gospel is chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And that, that promise of life hits on something that any reflective human being desires. But it doesn't say God gave life. It says he gave his son so that through his son would have life. And there's something about his son that makes us think, huh, why did you give us that? And sometimes with good gift giving, sometimes there's bad gift giving where it's thoughtless, but sometimes good gift giving is I'm giving you something you don't yet know that you need. You're not grateful receiving it now, but years later you may realize this was the greatest gift ever. Um, we're looking at a moment where what God gave is received, uh, not warmly, but uh, there's a crowd that's offended. And so Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath, but the religious authorities don't like the way that things are unfolding. But Jesus's response is sort of exposing that they're not understanding things right. They're, rather than saying, it's not that God doesn't know you and what you need, what we're finding out is, you don't really know God. You don't understand what God's doing. And so we're in that moment here. And uh, the last verse from last week is the first verse of this week, which is that the religious authorities, this is verse 18, they're seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that's a lot to take in. Who is this person that's claiming that God is now among us in some way? Um, but actually, that's the thing that's most remarkable, that's most helpful, and yet it's the thing that doesn't simply upset them, but, but, but their anger is now they're plotting murder. It gets realized at the end of, the end of John's Gospel, uh, that, that desire grows until they crucify him. 
So as we look today at this passage, it's remarkable that what Jesus is doing is he's, he's trying to expose them to what's happening about God's healing power, God's grace. But he's doing this to a, a group that's hostile. Uh, and so what I want to do is uh, just look at three aspects of this story. And what I'm calling disconnected confusion, just being the first, the problem. The second, the persistent generosity that we see of God. And then third, the internal healing that, uh, that if we have eyes to see it is really what's offered to us. And beginning with what I'm calling disconnected confusion. Jesus is clearly teaching them in a way that's saying you don't understand what's going on. You're not seeing, you're not hearing. But part of the reason is that they're disconnected, not just from him, but he's exposing they're disconnected enough from God that the reason they're misunderstanding the great thing God is doing is because they, God is, is still outside of them. Uh, and that's part of the dynamic. So in contrast, Jesus presents himself as one with the Father. There, there's a holistic presentation of Jesus who knows the Father, who does the will of the Father, who's with the Father, and his actions are doing what the Father does, which is to fix and to heal and to restore and to bring new creation. And he's inviting us to connect with that, but he's speaking to people that are broken, where there's disconnection, and therefore uh, are not getting it. So in verses 19 to 21, Jesus talks about what he sees the Father doing is what he does. That's the problem. They don't see what the Father's doing. I do, and I'm also doing it. What the Father does, I do. They're unified. The Father loves the Son. This becomes one of the problems. The love of God is not in you. The love of God is in me. The Father gives life, and the Son gives life. There's this unity on all of what's good about God and what God can do. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm doing. That's what you need to see. But somehow you're missing everything, and, and now your hostility towards me is showing there's a relational problem. There's a, a separation. You, you don't know God. Uh, otherwise, you would be excited about what he's doing, kind of like uh, a stray dog, where if, if, if a dog has been mistreated and is not used to um, uh, the normal Manhattan dog life of being pampered and uh, getting manicures and pedicures or whatever the equivalent is for a dog, uh, a stray dog, if you have food, will be drawn to you because that's what they want, food. But if you reach out to pet it, you may get a dog that runs or a dog that snaps. Um, the dog is wounded. And in a healthy relationship, the dog wants to, you know, come up alongside the owner and will listen to the owner. Um, a healthy relationship with God. God offers a life. We're, we all step closer. We want life. We're drawn to it. And then God reaches out to work in our lives, and some of us run away, and some of us snap back. What's happening here is God is drawing near and we don't know from this passage who's going away, but we know from this passage who's starting to snap back. Um, the people here want what God is offering. They want life. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may live. So on the one hand, they're doing the right thing. They want the right thing. They want life, and they know that it's the life that only God could give. So it's like you search the scriptures. Well, that's good. You search the scriptures wanting life. But somehow you're not understanding the scriptures because now um, the scriptures, just like the other signs, are pointing uh, to God. The, the Bible 
It's not that it, it gives life automatically. It's that the Bible has life in it. It's inspired by God, and it bears witness to God, and yet you're not coming to me. Um, so they're seeking, which is good, uh, but they're, they're staying away. And Jesus highlights here a number of the problems, but the problem is showing that, that, that uh, people have always sought a mediator. We're afraid of God. We keep God distant. Part of that is right. God is holy. Um, but part of the, the byproduct of trying to keep God out of part of our lives is that then we don't really know God. So when in the book of Exodus, God brings people out of slavery in Egypt and he brings them to the mountain where he will make himself known and there's fire and there's thunder. Now, why would God reveal himself that way in such a terrifying way? And I don't know, but what makes sense to me is until now you thought that there was no one more powerful than Pharaoh. And I've just demonstrated that I am more powerful. So be clear that I care for you. I heard your cries. I came, I brought you out. And now the one who loves you, the one who delivered you, the one who will provide for you, remember, he's more powerful. So they got that this God was powerful, but they were so terrified. They said, Moses, you go up the mountain, we'll stay here. That's okay. I understand it. Um, they were afraid. And yet they, they wanted this mediator and God and Moses goes up and he comes down with the law written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. And so they have the commandments. But, but what is the relationship to the commandments? Often it's very healthy. Their life giving this is God's wisdom. But what's always dangerous is if God is there and I am here, the commandments become rules um, where it's just about being dutiful. It's just about here's what I need to do to earn God's help. And Jesus is interacting at a time where it seems like you're, you're trying to apply your own Sabbath principle to me, not really understanding what I'm, what I'm doing, who I am, and what the, the Sabbath is about. And so he highlights three issues for these people that, that they believe in God, the creator of heavens and the earth. They believe in the scriptures. They're keeping the commandments, but there's something that's not connecting with the deep recesses of their souls. And so in verse 37, Jesus says, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. So I'm giving that example that Moses went up and kind of heard the voice, saw in some way in the book of Exodus, something of the form of God, and he reports it. But, but here's a people that only access God through a mediator. Moses is no longer alive, but you love Moses, and here's the law that he gave us. But now here's a, a different kind of mediator, the God-man. Um, and you're, you're not, not getting it. You're, you're still not understanding the voice. What you're seeing and you're hearing is not recognizing God. And he highlights for us three reasons that, that this happens. One is social influence. We don't see God. We don't hear God. But we see people and we hear people. And there is an outsized influence that people have on us. We all know that. We know about peer pressure. Um, we know how subject we are to the opinions of others. Verses 43 to 44, he says, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. So this is what Jesus is saying is, I'm not bearing witness to myself, God is, but you don't see and hear God. If somebody comes in his own name, is a witness to himself, uh, presents the resume, you'll be impressed. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? And that's part of the human problem. What, what are the credentials? What are the things we understand uh, that help us be satisfied that our criteria is being met. It's understandable we think that way, but there are certain dangers here. Um, and you know how social influence works that these days, um, you know, something like 
cryptocurrency, you know, value is always about well, people's desires and things like that. And so just because you have something tangible like gold to anchor the value, I'm not trying to get into economics here, but I'm just saying with cryptocurrency, it's, been cle it's, it's clearer if certain people can get people excited, great value, and if other people can cynically get you not excited, the value goes down. It's not that nothing else works that way. It's just clearer because of, of, the, of what's happened in the last couple of years. The same thing is happening with our self-esteem and our social interactions that one influencer makes everyone feel great and another influencer makes everyone feel terrible. We're very subject to what people think. And Jesus is actually offering us, well, actually, if you knew what God thought, you would be anchored. <laughs> you would have something solid, but you don't hear his voice. You don't see his form. Uh, and yet if another person comes along and, and is a con artist, uh, they could convince you. And I'm coming demonstrating uh, the reality of God and you just don't see it. And therefore you're missing out on this life you seek and is being offered to you. So here's, here's a second thing. And the second and the third problems that they have are similar in that G Jesus is highlighting what's not inside of them. Uh, God is out there, but God is not in them. And therefore they, they don't have that deep relationship. In verse 38, he says, you do not have his word abiding in you. So the scriptures are out there, you're seeking the scriptures for the facts, for the rules, and it's not entirely wrong because the law of God uh, shows his wisdom, his grace, you live that way, that's part of how we get to know God. But there's something here that, that uh, what the prophets would describe as their hearts being hearts of stone. And the promise one day God will do something through a spiritual work where he will write his law on your hearts. Um, Jesus is saying, I'm getting hard hearts here. You're searching the scriptures and yet all that time, you don't know the voice of God because his word is not abiding in you. It's out there, and it's out there that's something that's creating this hypocritical community. Uh, maybe you've studied a lot, but your knowledge has puffed you up. You don't really know God. And so what we need is God's word, but we need it in us. Think of Jesus in the parable of the sower. He plants his word in us, and when it's really at work, then it bears fruit. He's saying to them, it doesn't look like God's word is in you. And here's the second thing that's not in them, verse 42. I know that you do not have the love of God within you. This is the problem. Uh, the scriptures bear witness to Jesus Christ, to his ways, but also tell a story of God's ongoing love for his people. Somehow they're studying the scripture, and the love of God is not in them. God sends his son, and they want to kill him. And that is just an example of why we're mistreating each other in these other ways. It's not that we need to know that God is love, that God has loved, but we need the love of God in us. And so what Jesus is highlighting is uh, we always try to keep God out of our lives, keep God distantly, but then when God draws near, we don't recognize him and we're missing out on the life that he offers us. And so for any of our personal reflections in different ways, uh, how are you keeping God out of your life as a whole or part of your life? Um, if God is loving, if God is good, if God is the healer, we should want to open ourselves up. And, and that's hard for us. And it's hard in ways. What does God look like? What, what is God's voice? It's hard in ways of, do I trust God enough? Um, but why? Are you prohibiting healing because you're trying to keep God sufficiently distant? Um, Jesus is saying, actually, if you trust me, uh, I will come into your life, and, and that can change. The new covenant promises that, that through the work of the Spirit, your hard heart of stone can be softened. Uh, the word of God, the love of God can come in, and that will start to bear fruit in your lives. And so 
there's this confusion because we're disconnected. We're not connected to God. We're not connected to people. And therefore, all of our relationships are problematic. Uh, but here's the second thing that I, I want us to see from the passage. There is persistent generosity. What's remarkable is within this passage, there's some hard things that Jesus talks about judgment. He talks about a resurrection where we have to give account for how we have lived. Um, Jesus is not beating around the bush, but the tone is so remarkably gracious to people that the narrator says they want to kill him. <laughs> so this is Jesus's speech to people that what they're thinking is, we want to kill you. And what he's doing is he's saying, but God offers life. Let me try to reason with you. Um, that's remarkably generous. And, and it's a sign of God's persistence, which this is a, we're moving towards the climactic moment in the scripture. And all along, God's people have not really heard or followed his voice. They have not had his love in them in some way. And there's a persistent, generous invitation that God keeps saying, but turn to me, trust me, follow me. And so one of the things that um, Jesus does in, in trying to invite them again is he points them to John the Baptist. Now, by pointing to John the Baptist, it's interesting because on the one hand, um, well, let me look at verses 33 to 34. He says to them, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. So he's working with them saying, look, you, you were drawn to John. You went out to hear what he had to say. John, me, I don't look like the person that you think should be coming from God, but John did. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. John looked a bit like Elijah in terms of the prophetic. He had this uh, hairy coat. He was out in the wilderness. He was strange enough, so he looked more holy than the rest of us. Um, but a person yelling, you have a problem and you need to change. Yeah, that person sounds like he comes from God. Jesus comes and says, do you want to be healed? Huh, who's this guy and why is he claiming that he has the power to heal? So there's John. They were interested in him. They went to him with an open mind. Who is this guy? Is he one of the prophets? And, and John's response, John the Baptist's response, you go to John's gospel, chapter one, and he says, I am not the Christ or the prophet. I've come to prepare the way. So he spoke the truth. I'm an important person, but I'm pointing elsewhere. But he says, I myself did not know him, <laughs> the one that God had sent. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John, in line with the prophets, John, like a guy from the scriptures, is a witness to Christ, but he's saying, but, but ultimately the witness to Christ is not me, it's God. I did not know who it was. I will not be the one who will give you the Spirit, but, but I saw the Spirit come down on him, God told me the one on whom the Spirit comes in the sign as a dove is the one that he sent. I'm bearing witness that he is the one. So what's he saying? He's, he's saying God is the witness. God made clear to me. But Jesus' kindness to them, he's saying, you receive glory from people and not from God. Well, you, you sent to John, so let's start there. <laughs> um, John looks like he fits. Maybe I don't. Um, John is saying that I've been sent from the Father, and he says that not weighing in with his opinion, but because he believes 
as a prophet, God has shown this to him. So he's kind of meeting them where they're at. He's, he, in a way, he's saying, that's, I'm not who I am because John says I am. I, I am who I am because of what the Father says. That's the criteria. But you're rejecting me. Let me try to reason with you. If the opinions of people are important, John is getting people's attention. There's something credible about him. So listen to what he says. What's remarkable here is he says, I do not receive the testimony from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Look at the contrast. They want to kill him. He wants to save them. They are rejecting him because they he, they're misunderstanding the law. Jesus is saying, so can I try to sit with you and explain the law and the scriptures and how it works? Um, the remarkable generosity of God, and, and, and this is an encouragement to each of us because we go through our confusion. How do I know this is true? God, I don't like what you're doing. Maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're angry, maybe you're confused. The generosity of God is, but he wants you to be saved. He wants to heal you. So uh, he works in your life um, in great ways that you should see, but when you don't see it, when you don't believe it, he's going to try to work <laughs> if you have eyes to see, if you're willing to, to trust him. And, and it's remarkable that here, as they're plotting to give him, he's trying to reason with them so that their eyes would be opened. Uh, so then, um, he says in verse 20, the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. So he's concerned, the love of God is not in you, but the love of God is in me. The father loves the son and shows him all that he's doing, and I'm doing what the father is doing. What does the father do? The father seeks and saves the lost. The father shows generosity to sinners. Uh, God invites people who want to reject him to gain life from him so that they would be healed. Jesus is saying, that's a difference between me and you. I want life, you want death. I have the word in me, I have the love of God in me. You don't have those things. And so where is credibility? Jesus points to two things. So. He points to John the Baptist to help them, but he's saying, I don't need John's witness, and I don't need to make an argument for myself. If things in the Bible are established on two witnesses, here are two things that God is doing to point your attention to me. The first is the works that he's doing, the very signs. Verse 36, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So John is affirming what God is doing, but I have a greater testimony for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to kill me because I healed on the Sabbath. And so don't miss that, that I healed as you're recognizing that I chose to do it on the Sabbath. Um, the Father is bearing witness, and, and that witness is at least two things. One, the unique power of God God is doing things that in Genesis 1, the creator, by the power of his word, can give life. So Jesus comes in and the power of the word says to this paralyzed man, get up. And in hearing that, he gets up. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's not something anybody could fake. So, so are you recognizing the power of God here, but also not just the power, but, but the story that's being fulfilled, the story of scripture, of all of these things coming together with my arrival, that the God who makes and heals and calls people to flourish in the world that's broken and we envy and we covet, we kill one another. God's plan was always to bring restoration, to bring new creation. And look at the works that are being done. What is the nature of my ministry? 
in the wedding that ran out of wine, <laughs> I took the water and I, I made it wine and we celebrated. And in the, the person who couldn't see, I healed his sight. And to the person who was cast off, I welcomed them in. And does this not look like the hopes of God's people throughout the years being realized? There's a witness in the very person of Jesus that God is bringing together all of the things that anyone who knows God's word and loves God should recognize. This is what God is like. God is a life-giving God. He is gracious. He is powerful. He works against the force of darkness. He is a healer. Jesus is doing these things. And he says, the works bear witness. Do you want to believe that I'm from God? <laughs> well, what is God like? What does God do? Do you recognize that in any way? But here's the second thing is the scriptures. So the works are a witness, but the scriptures are a witness. Verses 37 to 41. First in verse 37, he says, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So it's not just me. It's not John the Baptist. It's not other people. Listen to what the father says, verses 39 to 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures are the witness, and, and the scriptures and the works and the signs function in the same way, that a sign points to another reality. Jesus is saying, there's the living God who created the heavens and the earth, and his word makes himself known. He is revealing himself. He has made known what he has done, what he is like, what he requires of you, his plans and purposes. All of those things are known in the scriptures, and he's appealing to people that would have that in common. Maybe not all of you buy into that, or as we try to speak with others in the world, but, but here's Jesus in a winsome way saying, do you need a witness to me? Well, look at what's happening in your midst. You with your own eyes have seen it. Harder for us, maybe 2,000 years later, to read about it. We have more questions. We need to do some more digging. For them, you're seeing this guy who walks, but your concern is that it's the Sabbath. You're studying the scriptures, and the scriptures that you know gives life bears witness to God, who alone gives life. And he says here, but they bear witness to me. And, and you do see that in, in throughout the, the New Testament, that Jesus is the one that claims to bring unique coherence. How do you understand what the Bible is about? If you read it apart from Christ, you will misunderstand it. But what he's saying is, once you realize that all of that God has said and done is being realized in me, not only will you understand the Bible, but in understanding God, the Bible, you will start to understand yourself. You'll start to understand the world because all things are holding together in some way in Christ. Now, why is that important? Well, because the love of God is in Christ. Uh, the power of God is in Christ. The word of God is in Christ. And so what he's saying is if you want healing, if you want life, God is directing your attention. So, so I'm not going to try to convince you of anything. I'm going to be one with the Father, but, but listen to what God is saying, and the attention comes to me. And when you see that, um, then if you receive my word and believe him who sent me, you will actually have life. Look, uh, this is not easy. Um, and especially, you know, as, as a church, we, we want everyone to be reading the Bible. And, um, and I encourage that, but I know that there are parts of the Bible that are just hard to understand, uh, even with years of study. Um, our method as a church, we're, we're Christians. We're not just, you know, so we want to be wise, like an academic would, but the difference between us and the religion department at Columbia is, yes, uh, the, the, the textual study of the sources matter, uh, the historical interpretation matter. All these things are important to be informed, but if you're just pulling it apart like it's a, 
like an engine to figure out how it works, you're not going to understand it rightly because the scriptures are bearing witness to Christ and his power and that living reality. There's a spiritual something. So in our reading as a church, we, it doesn't always make sense. We don't always like what we read, uh, but there's a sense in which somehow everything is connected to Jesus. Some passages, it's painfully obvious. Some passages, you really have to work out the context. How is this connecting to Christ? Is it connecting in a way that's convicting me of exposing something in humanity? Is it, uh, how is this in its context? It's not always easy. But once you recognize that all things are anchored and point together in him, then that patient work starts to make sense. And, and what you get is more of the grace of God, more of the love of God, more of the healing of God. And yes, the warnings and, and the, uh, the corrections, all of those things are there. But in a context of a God who has given you these things so that you would have life, and uh, as we devote ourselves to that and we start to hear more clearly the voice of God through the Spirit working as we read Scripture, as we start to see as God trains us, um, we realize that, that as Jesus Christ holds all things together, it changes the way that we experience and function in the world. That's hard work. It doesn't come easy, but that's what we're giving ourselves to. We're, we're seeking to follow him, and, and he's constantly inviting him. And what I'm highlighting here in this point is his persistent generosity. We all get stuck. I'm now confused. Everything was fine for 10 years and now something happened. Or I read the Bible and it, with this new question that I hadn't thought about and now it's a problem again. The idea is, are we, are we seeking God? Are we seeking to know him? Are we reading with sufficient faith to say, um, God will heal, God will give life. There is a power in God. What Jesus is saying to them is, that's not what you're doing and you're not seeing, you're not understanding anything. And yet for us as the readers, let's not miss in that very interaction, Jesus is being generous, but I will try to help you. And Jesus will try to help you. If you're stuck right now, pray, Lord, help me. Be patient, but he will. Uh, but here's the third thing that I'm gonna talk about. So I've been talking about this disconnected confusion. Maybe we all know that. The persistent generosity of God, we should know that. But, but an internal healing, I'm using the language of internal just because Jesus is highlighting is the word of God is not in you. The love of God is not in you. And therefore, you're rejecting, you're pushing the one God sent away from you. Um, there should be a change. And what's interesting about this and other stories that are like it, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, it's, it's, it's revealing, uh, it, it's, it forces to ask the question, you know, how do we understand the scriptures? What is the function of the law of God? And, and even on the question is, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath about? Well, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, all of the things you see in God are being realized in me. So the Genesis 1 things, God who by the power of his word gives life and makes things new. That's what he's saying is, the Father has the power to give life, I have the power to give life. Here it was, by the power of my word, I said, get up, and he got up. And so all of those things in Genesis 1 are there, but Genesis 1 tips into Genesis 2, where then God on the seventh day rests. So in Exodus 20, when God brings his people out of Egypt, uh, they are overwhelmed and worn, and they've been following Pharaoh. And then the Ten Commandments are given, and the Fourth Commandment, keep the Sabbath. The rationale is um, because this is what God does. You are now to imitate him. You're to learn his ways, not Pharaoh's ways. God works, and God rests. Uh, but what's interesting is before Moses dies in Deuteronomy, the last of the books of the law, of the five books, he gives the Ten Commandments again. Now he's older. Now he knows they're about to go on without him, and he's preparing them. And he gives the Ten Commandments, and they're the same commandments, but the rationale for the Sabbath changes. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, keep the Sabbath, do no work, you've got six days, 
uh, but you, your servants, your animals, whatever the case is, but the rationale changes, not because God rests on the seventh day, but he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So work in Genesis 1 is good. Go do it. And then stop doing it to enjoy it. Um, after this disconnection, after the alienation from God, work is frustrated, um, frustrating. So now we need to draw a line to make sure that, um, that we're resting. So what is a priority on the Sabbath? This principle is to, to make sure you're looking to God, to make sure that the world is not defining and overwhelming you. And so in this broken world, what is the function of the Sabbath? It's there to heal. You gave yourself for six days, and uh, you didn't think it was good enough, and nobody else thought it was good enough. <laughs> Take a day to think about grace. Take a day uh, to sleep. Take a day to remember that there is a future hope. That's healing. So Jesus comes, and here's a man who has not gotten rest for 38 years, every day in pain, and he says, get up. And people say, why would you do that on the Sabbath? And if you know God, you'd think, why would he not do that on the Sabbath? He's coming to bring rest to his people. He's coming to bring healing. Isn't this actually the very thing that you would hope that God would do, but it's just not what you expected, and therefore you're now against him? And so as we come to this passage, Jesus in verses 21, 20 to 21, he's doing these works, and he's saying you should see the power of God, you should see the witness. But here's the thing, greater works than these will be shown to him so that you may be will be shown him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will that's the distinction you're using your power to plot to take life uh, i am coming to give life that is what god does and these works are signs but there is a greater work that has not yet been shown a work that clearly only god can do only god can raise the dead. That will cause us to marvel. And if you're willing to trust him, that level of healing is what is being offered to us. And so um, Jesus, when he is crucified, uh, that crucifixion is a sign for us. It takes a lot of time to really see and discern what is God showing us. Well, God shows us his patient generosity. He is still offering grace and love, even as we're rejecting him. Uh, he prays for those who are nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The love of God is not in them. They do not have the word of God in them. Uh, if they understood the scriptures, they would look to me and have life. And instead, uh, they rejected and crucified me. Uh, but here I am praying for their forgiveness. And, and the sign, how do we know Jesus was sent from God? Well, discern it in the wisdom of what he says. His teachings are good. Do them and you'll live. Ask other people. There are witnesses in the church. You know, God has been faithful. Uh, here's a resource. Here's something that happened in my life. Here's why Christianity makes sense. All of those things are there. And Jesus says, but the ultimate sign is, is uh, no human being could give life to the death. How do you know that the Father has sent me? Well, you crucified me, but the Father who loves me raised me up. Uh, that's a sign to say that if that is true, not an easy sign to grapple. If you're a skeptic, that's not an easy one to take in. Yeah, you need to do some reading. You need to do some studying. But if it's true that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then what it takes away is, how do we know that this one has been sent by the Father? The Father is bearing witness to him. 
But what he's saying is, I do what the Father does. The powers that the Father has, he gives to me. As the Father gives life, so I also give life. So why should we listen to Jesus? Because Jesus is saying, what I did for this man in in a remarkable way, the man who couldn't walk, who now can walk, I will do for those who trust me in ways that will cause marveling. You won't understand it. And in verse 25, he says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Could you imagine that? He's talking to people that are so disconnected from God, they want to kill his son. And he's saying, but I'm coming with a word so powerful that the spirit will open your eyes. Some in those crowd became his followers at some point. (laughs) Even some who condemned him and crucified him. After Acts 2, those very people came to believe. That's the power of God's word. The person who hated and rejected him uh, has that offer of grace and generosity. What he's saying is, you and your hard heart, you and your confusion, it's not more than God could handle. And so there's a spiritual work that God, when he calls you, you'll hear his voice. And in some ways, it won't be clear. For some of us, the path is confusing. But what Jesus is saying is, if you're, if you're, if you're living by faith, no matter how your life ends, if you've trusted me, the voice will be clear one day. You're, you're going to marvel that he says, get up. And you're going to wind up, you know, what is this? How did I get here? That's what only the power of God can do. And what Jesus is saying is, I've come to do that. I've come to heal you. I've come to give you that life. But you need to let me in. You need to trust me. And so he, he comes to do a spiritual work where he promises, where John says, I've come to baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls, but it's only until the Spirit opens our eyes and cleanses our ears that we we can grasp that God really is this gracious and generous, that the Son was really sent because God knows we need help in finding him. And so God gives this gift. Um, <clears throat> it's Christmas time. I'm in my sentimentality remembering past Christmases some years ago. Uh, one of my kids wanted a particular Christmas gift, wanted a Yankees jersey in the in a year that the Yankees won the World Series that had this patch on it and uh, the cheap father who saw that the uh, the jersey without the patch was like $70 which strikes a lot for a shirt for a young kid and then had to pay like $100 for a patch was thinking I don't know if this is good you know what so so you know Kathy and I are grappling with what is good parenting he wants this is it to bless him to give him joy would parent with the better parenting decision for him to learn that you don't always get what you like? That makes sense, but this cowardly father was like, oh, but it would be so nice to give him what he wants. But we wanted to prepare him. It was a moment where like, look, just because you want it, it's, it's kind of expensive. We wouldn't normally spend that money. We want to bless you at Christmas, but don't assume that you're going to get it just because you want it and you asked for it. So that week before Christmas, I was in a used bookstore and I saw a book Encyclopedia Brown. It was a used book. I liked Encyclopedia Brown when I was in elementary school. And I thought, this would be great to give him this book because there's this, I like the book, he might like the book, he'll read it, we could talk about it. Now it had this kind of like 1983 cover on it and it was a little bit beat up, but we're like, oh, we'll give it to him. Now the mistake was we gave that to him first. (laughs) Uh, Parenting lesson number one is you know, give the thing that he wants, not the thing that he doesn't want. Because I had overprepared him that you might not get what you want, he opened the book and his thought was, that's it. 
you were right that I'm not gonna get what I want. And I got this book that not only do I not want a book as opposed to this jersey, but this book of all books that I've not heard of, and has this weird, you know, whatever on it. Um, he was young, so he was furious. He, he, didn't, he had not yet learned the politeness to be like, this is wonderful, Dad. I will send a thank you note, just remind me of your address. Uh, he was very clear that this was devastating, which then caused parenting uh, growth occasion. Uh, from my, so what do we do? Like now I'm thinking, do we not give him the Yankees jersey? But so we wound up uh, taking some time to think and pray, giving him the jersey. It all worked out fine. He still did not like the book, was not interested in it. Maybe a year later, he, you know, in some moment of boredom, he read the book and he liked it. And he went to the library and he got more Encyclopedia Brown books and then we started talking about it. Um, if you asked him now, was the, the Yankees jersey better than the book? I don't know that. To me, the, the book was more meaningful. I think the Yankees jersey was fine. But what he, what he saw with the book was, oh, as a father, you're not giving me what I want. What I was saying is, I'm, I'm trying to give you more than what you want. So I'm, I'm giving you what you want, but I'm trying to give you more, but, but I haven't yet given it to you. And you don't, you don't seem to trust me. So you're angry. And Jesus here is giving a vision to say, look, if you want life, he, he's going to give it to you. You're going to hear his voice uh, and you're going to marvel. Uh, but maybe, maybe he hasn't given it that way yet, and surely to all of us, the resurrection of the dead is this mysterious thing, but it's the, the full heal, healing, the renewal. It's promised that he has that power. You will hear his voice and live. Before that, he's giving you other things. Uh, and why he's not giving you certain things, I don't know, and why he's giving you those things, I don't know. But the question is, can, can you trust him? And if Jesus is generous enough to try to plead with the people that are plotting to kill him, He's generous enough to deal with you in your confusion and your fear and your doubt to say, but if you, if you believe the word that I give you and the one who sent me, you'll have life. In me, you will have what you want. And so um, just follow me, trust me. It's not easy, but he's going to help you. And so trust him. You can trust him more than you can trust yourself or any human being. Look at his works, look at the scriptures. Look at the nature of who he is, how like God Jesus is, and, and receive him. Let me pray. Our Father, <clears throat> we come to you as people who should know better, and we bring our confusion and our cynicism, and we, we keep these compartments of our lives that we are carefully protecting and keeping you out. You're here in our midst, and Lord, you are a healer. You are gracious. You're not like other people. You're not like us. Lord, with patience and mercy, work in a deeper way in our lives so that your word really takes root in our hearts and minds, so that your spirit really brings life and renewal, so that we begin to recognize your voice and to see your ways and to understand you, <clears throat> so that in knowing you, we would have life. Lord, um, we can't earn this, we can't demand it, we can open ourselves and appeal uh, by asking for the Holy Spirit, and you promise that you give it to those who ask for it. So, Lord, we ask for it today. Um, renew our hearts and minds. Do that powerful work of grace and um, fill us with your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.